All right, welcome back, crowdfunders. Guess what? It's me again, Sean Neal, the other half of Woodshed Agency, sitting in for Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel because of coronavirus. No, 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 Jeff didn't catch the virus, but uh, Michigan decided to close all the schools today. So he had to run home and pick up the kids and, and be a dad that left me sitting here high five to take over the next couple of podcast interviews. So on the next couple of episodes, you're going to hear the dulcet tones of myself, Sean Neal. Um, up today, we have got a really cool uh, campaign that we're going to talk about. Uh, it's a, uh, a role-playing board game called Vampire the Masquerade Chapters um, by Flyos Games, and uh, they're based out of Montreal, Quebec, um, a place that I have spent a good number of years at in my youth. Um, we talked to one of the co-founders, Gary Patry, whose name I completely destroy, as you'll hear in a moment in the interview, but I've since learned to pronounce. Um, and we had a really great discussion about um, their, their unique approach to a role-playing board game that uh, has a storyline um, that uh, is more like a role-playing video game uh, versus uh, a dungeon master or tour host type that you see in most, uh, in most role-playing games. So that, that's a really interesting conversation coming up real soon here. And quite a successful Kickstarter um, that had raised um, about $1.4 million Canadian. That's a lot of, that's a lot of poutine, everybody. That is a lot of poutine you can buy with that $1.4 million. So, coronavirus, it's a real thing. That's what's going on in our lives right now. I can't, physically I can't remember a moment before our lives were consumed with the, the coronavirus. Um, I don't know. Well, what more you can say about it other than um, looks like our lives are going to change pretty dramatically here in the next three to six weeks as um, everything is canceled. Sporting events are canceled. Theater events are canceled. Concerts are canceled. Schools are canceled. Um, social interaction is canceled. So uh, toilet paper wiping apparently is canceled because we're all hoarding toilet paper. I don't, I don't understand what toilet paper has to do with symptoms of coronavirus, but I, I, I'm not a medical professional, but I can pretty much tell you those are not related symptoms. So let's stop hoarding that stuff. Um, so uh, coronavirus is going on in everybody's lives. What's going on in my world here? Um, so last time we checked in with you guys, I was in the middle of doing a, a run as a drummer with uh, my favorite musical in the world, Hedwig and the Angry Inch, and that, that uh, ended a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find what to do with some of my extra time. And, and during this journey, uh, you know, both during the run of the musical and, and about four months prior, I have taken some major steps towards uh, reclaiming my health, losing weight. I need to lose a lot of weight. I still do. Um, but, but getting, getting back to being a healthy, um, strong human being. So, uh, since this summer, I have really been into CrossFit. Yes, I have become a CrossFitter, a CrossFit, um, guy. I'm CrossFit dude. I'm in the CrossFit cult. I, I lift things. I do Metcons. I do AMRAPs. I do all that stuff. So. Um, but, you know, finding the time to go pretty regularly between our responsibilities at Woodshed and then doing that musical was a little bit challenging. So I have been 
since the musical ended, committed to six days on, one day off of straight CrossFit, which is freaking intense. And uh, in about an hour or so here, I'm going to be packing up at the studio and heading off to, to day five of six of CrossFit, which I'm a little afraid of because today we are testing our time for a one-mile run, which uh, this guy doesn't run. It's not a thing. My arsenal, big dudes, flat feet, knees hurt, lots of weight. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do to approach that. I, I'm, I'm definitely not going to chicken out, but uh, a mile run scares me right now. So that's, that's – I think I'd rather lick – um, a few doorknobs uh, right now with coronavirus out there that go run a mile. Uh, but that's in my, my not-too-distant future within an hour here. Uh, what else? So, um, turns out, staying with the CrossFit thing, um, I can't jump rope. Can't do it. You know, there's, you know, small – School children and little girls and little boys jumping rope all over the all over the place, and I am a I'm a bit of a jump rope idiot, um, which is shocking, because I'm a drummer and jump rope is rhythmic. You know, you get in a tempo, you stay in a tempo. Um, there's hand eye coordination. You know, I'm told to do jump rope correctly, but you wait till you can see um, the top of the rope crossing the plane of your vision. And then you jump, and then you keep that that going, and, and it'll be fine. But for some reason, I am constantly tangling myself up and tripping in the jump rope, um, which is sad, really. You know, I think I should be much better at that. So, um, you know, last night we had one of those um, one of those metcons, you know, where you do three exercises um, re- repetitive, repetitively in a row, and it was you know twenty box burpees we do a burpee jump over the box do a burpee on the other side those side um and then uh 40 dumbbell snatches which is you, you know you grab a 50 pound dumbbell and lift it over your head and then do the other arm and i can do those pretty well but then my nemesis the 80 double unders which is a that really fast rocky you know one jump up and down but the rope passes twice and uh i just can't i can't do it couldn't do it you know just couldn't make it happen. So what I had to do is just stand there and jump, you know, the 80 times without the rope, kind of like an idiot. And I felt pretty stupid, uh, stupider than, than I felt not being able to do many exercises, but that, that one kind of took the cake. Um, but I did it, moved up and down, did my 80 jumps, moved on to the next exercise. And uh, yeah, so that's the next big thing for me is I got to learn how to Run a mile without stroking out. That's tonight, and I have to. Uh, I have to learn how to jump rope. That's that's a pretty good thing. All right, so let's get on to this interview. This is a great interview. Um, this is Vampire: The Masquerade Chapters um, by uh, by Flo, uh, Flyos Games. F L Y O S Games. It's their third or fourth Kickstarter, and we're going to sit here and talk to Gary Patry in the grand old city of Montreal. Okay, I have hit the green light and that means we are 
ready to go. Um, I am here with Gary, and I'm going to murder this last name, Patry. That's a French name. It is, you know. And here's what's sad is I spent a bunch of time in Montreal, um, basically from the mid '90s to early 2000s, and uh, I picked up zero French. Really? Yeah, yeah. So we're here to talk about Vampire Chapters, an absolutely awesome game that just destroyed their Kickstarter. Had had a fantastic run there. And uh, so, Gary, why don't you tell me a little bit about the game? Tell me, tell me about the project. Okay, so the project started over a year now. Uh, we, Thomas and I, founded uh, Fios Games like three years ago. And one of our goals when we started this was to merge our passion for tabletop RPGs with board games. And one of the, the, the tabletop RPGs we played the most is Vampire the Masquerade. We played it for over 17 years. And one day, I remember, we were, we were in, in a car and we were like, okay, we have to make something with that game. And when Thomas went to the Gen Con, like two years ago, he talked with uh, Dona Edevir, which works for Paradox Interactive, and she's managing the, uh, you know, the licenses for, for Vampire, and they both had like such a great time talking about their characters, and you know, there was a real human connection with the guys at Paradox. And we were invited to pitch our idea, and we had this idea for a long time. It's a bridge between uh, a tabletop RPG and a board game. So we wanted to have like you know discussion with NPCs. You can fight, you can investigate, you can decide um, the, the type of actions you, you want to do. You can uh, live a story that's based on your choices or so branching scenarios. You know, we had several ideas. We compiled this. We presented. Uh, we presented this to the Paradox Interactive team and they felt in love with the, the concept. And it was at the very moment when Paradox was opening the license to board games. So we started to talk about it publicly and build uh, the core game essentials uh, to, to, to this board game. And we launched our campaign like uh, a month ago. And as you said, it went beyond expectation. We, we had like great expectations because you know there is a, such a huge vampire fan community but that much we were not expecting that so we're very happy and we are now working and doing our best to, to deliver the, the best game possible yeah so lots to unpack there um let's kind of work backwards a little bit because we recently um had a vampire related campaign around a really cool book which was a reimagination of Bram's, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Uh, okay. which instead of a book, it was this package of um, maps and field notes and audio recordings and all that that unfolded the story, uh, similar yeah. to how Bram Stoker did it. And what we found is just this vampire fandom, Dracula fandom that's out there really fueled excitement in the campaign organically. Yeah. Uh, for you guys, how much of, of you know, uh, Canadian, it was about uh, almost 1.4 million, right? Is what you raised? Yeah, yeah, almost. Yeah. One so, third, how much three. of that was do you think was driven by this audience for Vampire, and how much did you actually have to um, cultivate your audience and ask for that? Um, I think like three quarter of the uh, the backers are Vampire fans, or at least you know uh, they know about Vampire. Uh, some of these uh, fandom are, you know, 
active players. Uh, some played it like back in time. We received many messages from people who played that when they were teenagers because it's a, quite a, an old game, Vampire the Masquerade. And now they stop playing because, you know, they have a career, they have family, they have, you know, and that was one of the, we're these type of players, you know, we start to work, we don't have that much time to constitute an army of players every week and stuff. Mm-hmm. We played as much as we can, but like in a smaller group and it is harder to find that. And we're very happy that back uh, timers, no people, old timers, people who played that back in time are very excited about this. So they can now play with friends, start a campaign with no storyteller. Because the, the core idea of the game is that we get rid of the storyteller. And there's no dungeon master. There's no one that needs to you know, conceive a story. The story is central to the game. So now they can play with their friends, play a scenario or two, stop playing for a week, add new players, and continue to live that experience. So there's quite a lot of people doing it. So let's dig into that a little bit, the differentiation between a, um, a, a narrator-driven experience versus um, a story that you lay out as a creator. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, the difference is that we cannot replace the essence of a tabletop RPG. I mean, this is the difference of uh, a game like uh, uh, Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, the tabletop RPG versus the, the video game. The video game has a narrative arc that leads player to certain decisions, which is awesome. But the tabletop RPG, you can do whatever you want. I mean, this is the limitation of imagination. So we're not comparing ourselves to a tabletop RPG. We are inspired from that. So we, I think we're closer to a video game RPG than a real tabletop RPG. We're taking the rules of Vampire the Masquerade, like the... Um, uh, the red dice, like the rolling system, uh, the how you use your disciplines, powers, you know, stuff like that. This is it's it's inspired by the tabletop RPG, but the choices you make, how the story unfolds, is closer to a video game than a tabletop RPG because a tabletop RPG is limitless. It's do whatever you want that your storyteller can imagine. Cool. So. <clears throat> I think the other thing too is that it unfolds in 30 minutes, right? So targeted for the, we have lives, we can't hold up for a weekend audience, right? Yeah, it's about 30 minutes per player. And this is like a, uh, an average time. You know, players who want to take their time, strategize, think of, okay, what we can do, talk about their future action. They can play like, like two hours, three hours per, per scenario. Uh, but we also want to um, to make this like small events that structure the global story. So for example, the very first scenario, you will encounter the main enemy of the campaign. Uh, the idea is you know, to introduce player to the world of darkness, to introduce them to the main uh, character they will have to fight later, and how they have to manage the masquerade, because this is the essence of Vampire the Masquerade. And you can rush at, the, uh, at this guy trying to fight him, and get rid of the humans all around. This could be done in 30 minutes per player. Like if you play three players under an hour and a half. But you can take your time, decide who to talk to first. There's many, many sequences that can appear in the scenario and play for a longer, a longer period. Uh, and then it leads you to another scenario. And depending on your choices, you may select a path that, is, that suits your playing style. 
this is this is the idea behind it is that we want players to move on to a new scenario to keep you know every scenario will end with like a, a small cliffhanger somehow so you want to know more about the main story you want to know more about your characters how they're related to this world because the characters in the game that you play are not archetypes you're not playing like a sort of vampire like a, a gangrel or a bruja you are playing a character that is related to that clan which means that they have a backstory they have interest in that world they have personal abilities and even if you can make your character level up and evolve because this is an evolving campaign you start with an amount of points but at every scenario you gain experience points and your character increases in level uh, his main personality remains his connection to that vampire world remains and we want to uh, to to have a, a storytelling centric approach to this type of board game. Cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it definitely seems differentiated from the pack a little bit, and I think that's part of its appeal. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about um, what happens when you hit to manage six thousand backers. Like you know, you guys stated a goal of around a quarter million Canadian, which is ambitious. You know, I think you you had an idea that this was going to be big. Mm -hmm. You know, when you quintuple that, what does that do to your team? What, is, what does that do to your planning of rolling out this game? Good and bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because other people asked us the same question. And honestly, we, it was not an issue for us. I mean, uh, what we've done with our previous games, we had only like 900 backers, 950 backers. And the way we structured the production of the game, the quality of the game, we don't ever compromise on uh, uh, the quality whatsoever, whether it's in uh, game design, uh, graphic design, illustration and stuff. We, we want to work with the best people. And we already structured the, the, the amount of freelancers because Fleos is just Thomas and I. We're just two guys running the, the edition company. But we're hiring many many uh, freelancers for that work and i mean doing something f for like uh, 900 backers and doing that for 6000 even 10000 i mean it's just a production matter how we will manage the production delays uh the the amount of copy that needs to be delivered like to the fulfillment centers this is more technical but in the end it does not affect the quality of the game itself once we agree that we're gonna use this type of assets uh, for the game design, like the booklets for dialogues, uh, this type of tokens, if you produce one or 10,000 for us, it does not change anything. It's just that we need to be more careful with the manufacturer at the end. So we're sure there is no, um, no produ production um, malfunctions and you know issues yeah. with the quality, but we just need to be more focus on, on quality but the, the game itself won't be affected by the amount of players i mean we're super happy that we have so many backers but honestly we would have delivered the same quality game if we had 10 backers right so for us it's it's not a it's not an issue well how much how much um pre-launch marketing and advertising and audience building did you do on your end um prior to launching the campaign um to begin, Thomas and I have a background in, uh, Thomas worked for startups for Intel back in time and stuff. I worked for um, advertising agencies for over 10 years now. 
And we have this experience in building, you know, talking to the various communities. And we did like perhaps like a six month work on how to communicate, how to reach the vampire fans, how to reach a board game enthusiast and build like uh, videos uh, to talk about the gameplay. And we opened the campaign like um, the guys from uh, Awaken Realms do. I mean, they open their campaign, people can see what they're doing and right. they're adjusting details here and there because previously in our previous campaigns we were scared of showing things i think it's a human reaction you know you just want to to show what's perfect and and well designed and you don't want to open to yeah. critics before and this is a mistake that we avoided in that campaign we showed early process to the the, the potential backers we opened the campaign before its real uh, launch date, like the draft, so people could see, make yep. suggestions. And we adapted many, many things to that campaign and the game itself on the Kickstarter, on the, the Facebook page first and on the draft because they gave us their feedback and we adjusted. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's I think perfect. So they did a great campaign, but yeah, something we always hunt for in the pre launch is how do you get um, a level of commitment from these audiences yeah. to be there on those first few days? Mm -hmm. And what you're talking about is something that we've been exploring in our most recent campaigns of, of utilizing Kickstarter's new um, um, landing page feature um, for preview, yeah. but also the, the preview link. Like, you know, when do we share that preview link? Or is it just a, to give people a snapshot at rewards they might want? Or is it giving these, these early enthusiasts an opportunity to have some personal input? You know, and, yeah. and I it's think, a good question. I mean, the, the, the first thing we've done is, Many months before the, the launch of the campaign, we announced that for all day one backers, we offered uh, uh, an expansion pack, a full uh, character with his sets of scenarios. We offered that to the, the day one backers. I think day one is the most important day. I mean, like yeah. three quarter of the campaign happened day one in our case. So we talked about it very early. And in that landing page, as you as you said, we have that picture of like if you back day one, you get the Benu Hakim expansion for free. I think this is important to, you know, this is like marketing type of yeah. things, but it works really well uh, in the end because people know that okay, if they're here day one, they don't miss that day, they will have something to get. Yeah, um, and, that, and that that gives you a chance to gauge how many of those people you're interacting with in those months prior. Yeah. To get yeah. a sense of okay, maybe I need to spend forty thousand dollars on ads because I'm going to raise three quarters of a million dollars in twenty four hours. You know. Yeah. yeah, but you know something we've done in in that campaign, we spend very few amounts in advertising. Uh, we were we we spend a, a bit of money on uh, Board Game Geek, but like the minimum amount for you know banner campaign, it was just like a an awareness campaign so people know that okay this game is running oh yeah yeah, i remember okay there's vampire you know just as a reminder the return on investment was great uh, for people who clicked actually on the banners but it's just we were counting uh, counting on the, the the awareness so talk about it and we spent some money on facebook but not that much in the end uh, compared to we have many friends that we talk to that's running like million dollar campaigns as well and they spend so much money in advertising which is which we understand because you know we, we have to reach uh, people everywhere, but we use some, you know, small techniques to reduce the the pricing, like using videos on Facebook, uh, and then retarget to people who saw like a, 
a limited amount of the video and stuff like that. So it, it reduces the uh, the cost per acquisition yeah. for any viewer. And you know, we we guess that if someone watched our video for seventy five percent of the time, we were thinking that okay, this person might be interested into purchasing the game. So why not target these people? Which worked really well in the end because the the results on Facebook were very high on our campaign without spending too much money on that. Yeah, I think, you know, that's a lesson for anyone running, not just board games, but anyone running a Mm -hmm. first-time Kickstarter Mm -hmm. is most people start with the awareness funnel of, hey, I'm here, I'm doing this thing, but they immediately think that that awareness funnel is going to give them a purchase. And Mm -hmm. there's, there's this two to three steps in between where you're filter, you want to filter out people. You want to narrow down to who's the most engaged and interested and, and have mm-hmm. a, a methodology to have a dialogue back and forth. And, and I really like yeah. the idea of, hey, here's the page. You know, here's our first yeah. set of art. What do you think? So we yeah. make a bigger investment in the art. Is the art yeah. making you happy? You know, mm-hmm. do we like these yeah. characters? You know, do we, do we like this dice design? You know, yeah. all, all those yeah. things are... are giving opportunity to get feedback. So inevitably, when you're having dialogue and feedback, especially in in something like a board game where there's a lot of heavy opinions and enthusiasts, how do you deal with negative commentary? (laughs) That's that's a a very good question. Uh, Because we run two previous campaigns, we know that, you know, there is people who won't be happy. There is people who will have like a negative approach to it. And that's okay. I mean, but the difference is we run two small campaigns. The first game did like uh, eight, uh, 80, 100, uh, uh, 80,000? 80, 80,000. Yeah, 8030. Yeah, 80, 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 80K, okay. 80K, 80K, 80K. Yeah. Uh, which is good, but you know, it's, it's very quite a small. The second game is only 47K, which is even less than the first one. So. This type of bad comments, we know they're present, but it's, it's not that big, you know, but this is the first campaign that we have so many backers and the impact on uh, our our emotion is, is kind of, I mean, I mean, someone doing, telling bad things, it's okay because when the uh, the comments are constructive, like you guys, you're doing that, but perhaps you could have done this. We're not, we're not like, for example, like the, the language. We had this idea of unlocking language uh, translation to the game because we have like a 3,100 words in our game and opening this to a new language is very costly and we wanted mm-hmm. to make the community decide. We thought it was a good idea at the beginning, but it was probably the worst idea we had mm-hmm. in the campaign because when you're fighting for your language, you're making a position between uh, the backers. Yeah. And we received many, many bad comments. You know, when the uh, Italian community said, okay, guys, vote for Italian. And you have like the, the Brazilian community, no, no, vote for Portuguese. And it's like, okay, they're just trying to fight each other instead right. of being together with us. And this was a mistake, for example. So we received bad comments for that, which are um, uh, the comments that make sense. And that's okay, we're, we're taking this and that's fine. But there is the other comments, you know, the things that are just here to, uh, to break your 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 mental uh, yeah, break your spirit uh, yeah break your spirit and try to just to be you know bad comments and whatever you can think of before how how doesn't matter how prepared you are to this it still affects you you think about it you're like okay I have to so you have to take distance 
to these people. And unfortunately, when you take distance from your own uh, campaign, we were not thinking uh, like, okay, this is great. We're reaching $1 million in Canadian dollar. We were just like, okay, trying to, to fix all the, the, these breaches and not enjoying the campaign enough. I mean, we're, yeah. we're starting to enjoy this now because we are realizing, okay, that's great. I mean, we have enough money to make a great game, work full-time on this, which is awesome. I mean, this is the dream that's coming true, you know? But uh, we're starting enjoying it and we should have enjoyed it before. So next time, right. we probably answer bad comments that because we answered every comment, even the, the worst, we will probably answer like comments that allow us to get better and not answer just comments trying to to break our spirit you know yeah spend less time on this because it makes a lot of noise in our head so let's talk about you know now that you're enjoying it i don't think mm -hmm. that you know 1.3 million is your max because you you, yeah. you have a late pledge reminder here or people yeah. can still pledge and, and do a, a yeah. interim funding period what, what's your plan for that uh, it's, it's a good question. The, so the, the first batch went really well. We are working on uh, the game itself. For now, we are closing the uh, the, the pledge. We we will open like a small short period because you know some backers got their um, credit card canceled mm -hmm. and stuff like that. You know, like like late minute problems. So we will open like a two days window so people can fix their uh, their back uh, their their pledge. And like, if you want to miss the campaign for a couple of days or whatever, they can uh, back the game now. But the strategy for the future is to focus on the game itself, uh, deliver the, the rules, uh, and a couple of scenarios, playable full scenarios. So you have an overview of what the game really is before we start the full work of writing and complete all scenarios. And once we've done this, we will be able to share it to uh, the community, so the, the first batch of backers, so they can test it and you know get the feeling of it, get their feedback on, on, on these scenarios. And once we are confident enough, we can present this and open uh, a late pledge to, uh, to new backers. So they can test the game, what the, the game really is in the end. Um, and this is when we will open this. So, the estimation of backers, we don't have any idea. The only thing I can say is that in a couple of days, we had like about 500 late pledge uh, subscription to, to that, yeah. so, which is which is really good, actually. Well, I, I think that what you're running here is really interesting, this approach to it, because you have sort of another pre-launch opportunity mm -hmm. here, right? Where yeah. Yeah. you can apply some of the similar techniques to this new audience you're building who's saying, hey, when this opens up, let me know. You know, yeah. it's going to be for two days, so it's very similar to a day one of a Kickstarter. But, you know, you can feed them, you know, hey, here, here's one round of rules or, or whatever it is. And yeah. I'm willing to bet if you've got 500 signups now, it wouldn't shock me if you gain another 2,500 pledges just on this alone, you know. That's, mm -hmm. that, uh, that's possible. Yeah, yeah that's especially because I of the, we... the success of it. Yeah, we're just trying to, to make calculation based on the average uh, amount. I think our average uh, number is $210 yeah. uh, per, per backer, which is I mean, really good in Canadian dollars. Uh, yeah. We still have to, to, to make the comparison because the Canadian dollar is very, very low. 
but uh, it's still good uh, good numbers. Yeah, maybe yeah, I don't know the amount. I mean, for us, it's it's a matter that what's good about that is that we can increase the quality because for now we uh, we already have like quotes from different uh, manufacturers. Mm -hmm. Uh, some people we work with like uh, Panda Games and others. So we're trying to make the best decision for the game itself. The more money we have, the more quality and, you know, uh, because it's not only about the quality itself, it's about the relation we have with the, the, the manufacturing company, mm -hmm. how we invest in, you know, talents, how we invest into a, um, a, uh, an infographist, for example, who can help us, you know, be very precise, very, great files so the translator don't spend time trying to translate something from bad documents it's also internal structures that we can put so everything is fluent you know and and yeah and really well geared so well yeah. i think you know obviously you guys killed it um thank you it, it's a it's a subject matter that that's a smart game to run because there is such a baked in community and i think any game designer should really think about that when they're thinking about genre or types of characters or whatnot, you know, who are, who are my people and who are the people I'm going to attract? Because now, you know, mm -hmm. if you do another vampire related title in the future, mm -hmm. the sky's the limit, you know? You, yeah. You, yeah, for sure. You have a brand new audience. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. You clearly know what you're doing from a marketing standpoint. It's, <laughs> uh, it's awesome. So when, when you. do you project that backers will have that first round of, um, uh, rules in their hands the test rules so we started the the working session for uh, game design with uh, john gilmore john gilmore is the uh, game designer coding game designer of uh, dead of winter the idea is that we wanted to work with one of the top 100 games of uh, board game geek we wanted someone that has very good experience in making like top-notch games and once we knew that we reached like higher expectation in in the, uh, the campaign, the, the, the money aspect of the campaign, we knew we could hire someone like him. And we started the work, uh, the game, the work session uh, yesterday uh, in, uh, in their new office. That was a very good session about, you know, breaking some ideas we had, adding new ones and stuff. So we will probably be able to have a pre-complete alpha version of the rules uh, mid-April. Uh, and then we will make that uh, bounce with a set of two other game designers. Uh, we are working with, uh, uh, I don't remember their name, um, Brian Neff and uh, Ian, Nathan Cohen. Both are game designers on uh, the Dark Tower, Return to the Dark Tower campaign that worked kind of well as well, you know? Yeah. Um, and these guys will help us like, uh, trying to you know test the game in many possible ways try to play like four players rush on one enemy uh, do all the tests that you can possibly imagine they will do this on the two first scenarios so those two scenarios will be as perfect as we can we are aiming to do this uh, during the month of may probably so this scenario should be available uh by the end of may something like that that's that's a great timeline for a campaign that basically just ended, mm -hmm. you know, to within three yeah. months, you know, you already yeah. have your community of 6,000 backers um, yeah. engaged in a test. That's fantastic. Yeah, and we want to get their opinion before, you know, the summer vacation. 
if we yeah. can do this before the vacation because you know people are not here present they probably won't access and don't want to uh, and see this type of things before that it's it's some sort of okay we back something and they come back with uh real stuff and we kind of invest into that uh, that game uh for for good reasons and we owe them that to focus on the gameplay because basically our our, our what we proposed to the, the the backers at first was not the final game it was like like 70% of the rules were done but mm -hmm. you know the final 30% are the most complex to assemble so we have 6000 people who back the game on a promise which yeah. is fantastic for us you know we don't even have a physical um prototype that we share to testers to reviewers you know we just had like a video and uh, a couple of reviewers that play the tabletopia digital version of the game uh so as you said for the next games we will have like a, a complete uh gameplay finished a new story uh you know yeah. so this will be somehow different and even better i guess yeah well i think that you guys have proven worthy of the trust you know you're mm -hmm. You're clearly going to deliver, and I think that's fantastic. So, Thank you. strange questions. We live in interesting sure. times. Uh, we're recording this on March 13th, and, uh, you know, between last night and today, we've had all major sports canceled, all schools have been canceled. Um, so, you got two questions for you. Um, one, how are you going to survive without the Canadians? And are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I, I get the, the, the strange question uh, thing. Um, we are not too afraid about this for now. I mean, I, I believe this is a personal thing. So it just, yeah. it's not about the, it's not a company statement or it's just a personal thing. I think uh, on my own that it's okay that governments and, you know, like, uh, institution have to prepare for something big that's normal i mean if they don't do this they will be criticized for this you know yeah but i think the the relation we have uh, as persons as people to this should not be the same level of uh of fear you know yeah i'm just concerned so i wash my hand a little bit more if someone doesn't want to shake my hand i'm like okay i understand that that's fine but i will continue living like i usually do and just if I have, uh, I have a mom that's kind of old, so I'm just trying to protect her and do, um, um, trying to avoid that she goes out too much. Yeah. But for my kids, for myself, for my wife, I mean, no, we're not that scared on a personal level. But yeah. So what so, are you thinking? So yeah. So I'm thinking. I'm thinking kind of on the business side. You know, a little joke too mm -hmm. about missing hockey. But, you know, which said we're based in Detroit, which is right on the Canadian border. And, you know, I mentioned earlier in the, the interview that, um, you know, I had spent several years in Montreal. Um, you know, we're hearing today that it's possible Canada's going to close the border with the U.S. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the U.S., rightly or wrongly, has already imposed a lot of travel and trade restrictions. Do you anticipate any hiccups in, in your delivery or delay or promotion of the game without being able to go to board game conventions or, or working with overseas vendors or how yeah. is this going to affect your, your plan? Yeah, that's actually a very good question. We believe that the Gen Con will probably be canceled this year. Uh, 
for now they announced new speakers so there is they don't seem to want to to cancel it but you know e3 can just got canceled a couple of days ago gen con will probably follow so yeah we would we we wanted to showcase like the the prototype of the game of scenario or two at gen con so players could have like the, the feeling of touching the, mm -hmm. the 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 new version of the prototype like a physical prototype this time uh so we will probably avoid that uh on the manufacturing side i'm not too afraid because we still have a full year full year and a half of development uh on writing on translations on art on whatever so we have a plenty of time to work on the game itself before we focus on the production itself. Right. I would have been scared if we had to produce this this summer, but the manufacturing will probably happen next year. So I will start to be afraid like in maybe 10 months from now, Okay. if nothing have, has changed. But okay. if we hear the, the specialist, the uh, epidemiologist and stuff like that, the, it's most likely that you know once we will enter in production a, a vaccine will have been done or the, or the it will have burned out by then yeah. yeah that's what we believe so we're confident in that but we don't have other uh, clues i mean we're like yeah. anybody else we don't have a production to make right now so it yeah, we're all guessing us. yeah we, we know several of our campaigns that ended in the last six months are now trying to mm -hmm. ship and they're you know, yeah, there's no answers. That sucks. Yeah. yeah, that sucks very much for them. Yeah. All right. Well, Gary, Vampire of the Masquerade Chapters, um, killer campaign, killer campaign. Uh, yeah. Artwork looks great, and you guys, you know, I'm super impressed. You had the strategy for six months, stayed committed to it, and really pleased that it paid off in such a great way for you guys. So, thank you. All so right. Much. Stay safe out there. <laughs> Wash those hands. Thank you. And yeah, uh, good luck working on the notes and, and getting this guy delivered here. Thank you very much. You're welcome. All right, big thank you to Gary Patry, everybody, from uh, Vampire the Masquerade Chapters from Flyhouse Games. Great conversation on Kickstarter. Uh, so let's do let's do our little woodshed business. We are a woodshed agency. We are the crowdfunding guys. If you're, if you're running a Kickstarter campaign or Indiegogo campaign or, or equity crowdfunding or, or if you're doing a product and you're selling it on Shopify, um, we can help. We're, we're experts at digital marketing. We're experts at pay-per-click advertising, creating content, telling stories of um, helping you take your product or your idea and connect with an audience. Um, we're kind of okay with that. We've learned a little bit. We've done a few of them. So you want to want to get on the phone with us and, and dig into our brains and, and learn learn some of the best practices and learn some about the techniques that we're using to help our campaigns and our clients successfully funded and how we could possibly work with you, hop over to our website, website woodshed.agency and book an appointment to talk to myself or talk to Jeff. We'll, we'll spend 20 minutes free of charge on the phone with anybody to talk about your campaign, share our thoughts and ideas on, on how you can make that thing work. And, um, possible maybe explore a way to work with us so uh woodshed agency woodshed.agency uh check out our website there so we're gonna send you out here with uh some sugar people jeff and i's music project uh we're gonna pick another one that i uh called cowboy that i i, I think is um 
one of the more fun tracks to drum drum to. It's got that uh, nice six eight feel. You can do the little Picaro shuffle in there, little triplet up beats. It's a real fun one to drum along there. So this is sending you out here with one of my favorite Sugar People tracks, Cowboy. Later. <laughs>